My next guest is Yasmin Daya Bilger, head of ETFs at Engine Number One, who debuted on the ETF scene about a year ago, and they're already approaching a half billion dollars in assets. They currently offer two ETFs, the Engine Number One Transform 500 ETF, ticker symbol VOTE, V-O-T-E, perfect ticker symbol, which we'll get into. And then the other ETF just launched in February, the Engine Number One Transform Climate ETF, ticker symbol NETS, N-E-T-Z. Yasmin is now joining me from New York. Yasmin, welcome back to the uh, podcast. If you recall, last time we connected, we were actually recording live in New York, which I've got to tell you, that seems like a decade ago. <laughs> it really, do, I mean, it really does feel like a lifetime ago. It probably <laughs> wasn't that long, but but that's very true. <laughs> All right. So, so look, I thought the best way to uh, really convey how engine number one is approaching the market is to just jump right in and discuss vote. And it's interesting because at first glance, somebody looks at this ETF, there's really nothing unique about it, right? It holds the top 500 U.S. companies by market cap. It charges a minuscule five basis point fee. This looks pretty plain vanilla. However, the magic here is in how engine number one goes about voting on the shares of companies held by this ETF. So let's start there because I think this really gets to the heart of what makes you different. So explain the idea behind vote. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the simple one-liner on vote is exactly what you said. It is a plain vanilla market cap fund on the investing side. In fact, by design, it looks a lot like what most people own in their portfolios today. Um, where I say we're quite different is the way in which we're using those assets in our portfolio from a voting and engagement perspective. Now, at the risk of taking a step back, I, I do think it's worth talking about why before we get to how. I don't think most people really know how the system works around proxy voting. You know, publicly traded companies, they operate kind of like quasi-democracies with real accountability to their shareholders. So when you buy a company, not only do you have a right to a share of its profits, but you have a right to its decision to influence its decision making. And that is a proxy voting system. And every year, investors are casting votes at tens of thousands of proposals at public companies. I mean, they elect the board to represent them. They approve executive pay plans. Um, and to take it even farther, if you as a shareholder disagree with how a company is being conducted, you can engage with management. Um, and if you feel you aren't being heard, you can put forward what's called a shareholder proposal. In fact, every year, there are several hundred shareholder proposals that get put forward that are environmentally related or socially related. Um, what is a little more complicated for people is that, you know, most of us don't buy individual stocks anymore. We invest in mutual funds and ETFs. Um, and when you invest in a fund, you're delegating that vote to your manager because technically the manager is a shareholder. Now, voting power in our system is really concentrated that the top three largest passive providers own between 20 to 25 percent of the average S&P 500 company. Um, and what you've historically seen is that environmental and social shareholder proposals often fail at big companies. Um, and so these are issues that are, are often asking management for more transparency and information and reporting on things like carbon emissions, for example. Um, so the real opportunity from my, our perspective was to leverage the power of passive investing, which, as we know, is where assets have accumulated and continue to rapidly accumulate, rapidly accumulate but really focus on pushing companies in the way we vote. Um, so from a statistics perspective, the average S&P 500 fund voted against 80% of environmental and social shareholder proposals in the past five years. Since we've been live, um, 
which was about a little bit less than a year ago, we voted on 168 shareholder proposals and we supported 91% of those. So we're using our voting power to really push on topics um, that we think is really around transparency and accountability. And then we couple that with our really focused engagement engagements at some of the largest companies in our country. Let me ask you this, because I think that's a really interesting stat in terms of how you have voted versus other fund companies out there. And to your point, more investors are owning funds versus individual shares. And so this makes how fund companies vote even more important. And I know um, every fund company is going to go about things a little bit differently. So I guess without naming names, can you offer a little bit of a contrast here? Like from a process standpoint, how are some other fund companies going about voting proxies? Because I actually went to the Engine Number One website and I saw you have a 16-page document outlining everything behind your proxy voting. It's a full document of your guidelines, how you're looking to drive positive impact. I'm curious, what do other fund companies typically do? It's a really good question because I think one of the biggest opportunities for us as an industry is just more transparency on how you're approaching this question, how you're using the influence of the investors in your funds on very critical topics and issues at the largest companies in our country. So you see a really wide range of how different asset managers approach the question. Um, you know, on one hand, you actually see some asset managers who are you know, basically pre- predominantly focused on, let's call it ESG, who vote nearly 100% of the time on uh, in support of environmental and social shareholder proposals. We would probably say that we want to put more of a discerning eye to this because we want to focus on proposals that we think push for transparency and accountability, but are additive to shareholder value. On the other hand, you see a lot of large asset managers voting against them. And I think there's a few reasons why. I mean, one of these issues are complicated and, you know, they have multiple different investor types in their platforms. Um, and I think in many cases, it's easier to push um, for topics through the engagement channel versus, you know, the voting channel where you're really actively voting against management. Um, but I do think there is one area where, as an industry, we've got to we've got to improve upon, which is this transparency piece. I, I don't think most people know this, but that right now fund managers are not required to disclose their votes on a real time basis. And sometimes you, as a fund holder, will be waiting up to twelve months to even know how a vote was cast. Um, and so, as you said, we first and foremost have a very detailed policy on our page. But beyond that, we actually now disclose our votes on a real-time basis on our website. Um, so someone someone who is invested with us can log on, and if they care about a topic or they saw a vote was up at a particular company, they can see very transparently how we voted. And that's the alignment I think we as an industry really need to drive towards. Um, and these issues are complicated. There's multiple ways to think about them. But I think, you know, in spirit, people who are investing with a manager should really know how that vote is being used. Um, and one of my favorite things to think about is I think most people think of market cap as just being this entirely commoditized product and space. You know, it's all about size and trading and cost. And now there's just a new dimension, which is stewardship. You know, asset ownership. How, are, how is the asset owner, active ownership approach being used? Um, and so that, that, I think it's going to become more and more of a topic of conversation for people. I noted at the uh, top that engine number one has had a really nice response from the market so far. So I, I look at vote that's already nearing $350 million in assets in, in less than a year. However, you, you are obviously still small compared to the iShares and, and vanguards of the world. And so the question that I have is, um, I know there was a, a well-publicized situation last year with Exxon. 
where engine number one really took the initiative and was able to win uh, several board seats here. I I'd love to have you talk a little bit more about that and perhaps explain how engine number one is able to, I would say, carry a big stick, even if assets are currently much smaller than the bigger players, which, by the way, I think it's interesting that some of those bigger players are also direct competitors to you as well, and you have to get them on board with your initiatives. Can you just talk about some of the uh, dynamics here? Yeah, it's, it's so fascinating. So, uh, And there's a lot of lessons, I think, to take away from our campaign last year. So just so everyone has the background, last year we um, launched a campaign uh, and we were at ExxonMobil and we we're focused on a few things. First with governance and the fact that we uh, were really advocating that the company needed more specific um, energy and transformational energy experience on their board. Um, the second was really focusing on their long-term capital allocation strategy. Um, in a world where we felt, you know, we were moving towards decarbonization and the demand picture being more opaque farther out. Um, what we were able to do is we placed three people on their board of directors. Um, and we also saw that during our campaign, the stock outperformed, you know, not just because energy was up, but their peers. I think the lessons about the system, though, are quite fascinating. The first is around size. Um, we owned two basis points of Exxon, um, which is a very different approach than you've typically seen from from activism but where we were successful was we focused our arguments on shareholder value we were not approaching the conversation around climate ideology or morality which i think many people had done before us we were focused on um on the fact that our recommendations was were, were good for shareholders now, now why is that critical because when you link these arguments around environmental and social issues to shareholder value you make it easy for other shareholders to come along with you. And that was how we were able to build a coalition of people to, to join us um, and ultimately get the three board members placed on the board. I think the second interesting sort of insight around the system is engagement versus divestment. Um, I would say the prevailing view in the market for the last several decades has been, if you don't like how a company is operating, um, you should not own it. Um, and particularly when you think about what that means for climate, that meant that people were just wholesale excluding from their portfolios companies in high emitting sectors and, and, and energy just didn't appear in many people's portfolios. I think the campaign proved the benefit of the engagement channel, own and engage. Um, and, I, and that's that's fully one of our fundamental premises as a firm is, is an engagement focused strategy. But I think that combination of focusing on shareholder value and not sort of running away from the problem, but owning and engaging it are two areas where I think we really shine a light on. I, I think that's really well said. But l l let me ask you this. You had mentioned the um, the concentration of voting power earlier. And again, when you look at companies like iShares and, and Vanguard and the, the trend into low cost index based products, certainly they benefited from that. But one of the concerns you'll hear, and it's actually one the late uh, Jack Bogle voiced right before he passed away, is on the corporate governance side, that the growth of indexing is resulting in these companies wielding too much power. Um, two, two questions here. I mean, one, is that a concern of yours? Or do you think the tack that you took with somebody like Exxon, you can replicate that and that is the path moving forward? And then I guess the, the second question would be, if that is a concern, just in terms of this consolidation of, of voting power, what is the longer term solution? Because I would argue this move towards indexing isn't going to slow down anytime soon. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's only getting bigger, right? That's that's one of the realities of the market. People have voted. They voted with their wallet. And low-cost, diversified, passive investing is winning. And it's winning across the board for all sorts of investor types. I think it's a reality we're going to see more growth in passive the passive investing. So I think that's just the reality we're operating in and we have to think about it that way. My personal perspective is that, you know, one of the one of the things you often hear people say is, you know, well, how about pass-through voting? How about if you just transfer that power back to investors? And, and you certainly see certain parts of that happening in the market today. You see a lot of institutional clients, for example, investors, for example, um, having their own customized voting policies. I think in the world of retail investing, though, you know, if you really think about it, do investors really want to be voting on thousands of proposals. Um, and even if you narrow it down to maybe the shareholder proposals I mentioned, there's still several hundred of those. Um, so I, my, I think that the real focus area for now is just transparency, mm-hmm. you know, making sure investors know how that vote's being used and that, that, that they see alignment in that. And also having a dialogue and sharing that information with investors. So, you know, version one of that for us is just putting our votes on our website. I think there's so many more interesting things to do around creating a dialogue with investors. But that's where I feel like, at least more immediately, the the focus area really ought to be from an industry perspective. In terms of creating that dialogue with investors, what do you think about leveraging technology here? And I've talked about this in the past where, let's say, end investors can log their ESG preferences into a website. And then those preferences are aggregated and the fund company votes accordingly. Do you think that could be a way where you sort of better align the interests of, of Main Street investors and, and Wall Street? I, I'm just wondering, you know, longer term, I agree, transparency is always a good <laughs> guiding principle. But uh, I, I just wonder how this plays out longer term. And, and maybe it does come down to if investors are so inclined, they can log their broad ESG preferences. And then again, a fund company can aggregate those and vote accordingly. What do you, what do you think about something like that? Yeah, I think you'll certainly see things like that begin to happen. Um, I will say one of the maybe precursors or smaller steps on this on this road that actually um, happened when we when we launched was um, we were added into Betterment's SRI portfolios, and when we were added, they actually surveyed all the investors in their SRI portfolios on what were the issue areas that they cared about most that they hoped um, Engine Number One thought about, and it was non-binding. It was it was just getting a pulse. On the, on the investors in the fund. And, um, you know, obviously that was their prerogative and their platform. But I think that you, you'll probably see more of this where just better understanding um, these dynamics. And I also think then, you know, once, once right now proxy reporting is just that it's a report. You know, it's so hard for an individual investor to feel attached to it. But um, as, you, as we start simplifying our storytelling and really bringing it to life, I wonder if investors themselves will just also want to know Am I aligned? So they'll, they'll themselves start asking the question, you know, how are, how are you voting? All right. Briefly here, we haven't touched on Net Z yet, the uh, engine number one transform climate ETF. Do you want to briefly explain the CTF, which, again, launched earlier this year? Yeah, this is a very different product than Vote. Um, Net Z is an actively managed, high conviction ETF um, that invests in the companies that we believe will drive the decarbonization of our economy. Uh, unlike other climate funds, um, we go where the emissions are. So I think with Net Z, we're flipping the whole climate conversation on its head. You know, as the vast majority of climate strategies are built on the concept of divestment that we just talked about, which is really to say that a good climate strategy um, excludes or leans away from high emitting companies and high emitting sectors in our economy. But but we we take a totally different approach. We're own and engage. We go where the emissions are, and 75% of global greenhouse gas emissions come from transportation, energy, and agriculture. So 
um, as opposed to optimizing for green today, which I think is the approach most climate funds take, we're really focused on the transformation of brown to green and picking the companies that we think are best positioned to win in that. So it's absolutely uh, impact meets uh, alpha story that we're trying to deliver for investors. Okay, so this is perfect because before I let you go, I thought the perfect way to close here would be to have you sort of define ESG in the context of investing. And I think you've done an excellent job of laying out engine number one's approach uh, and how you view the world here. But as I'm sure you're aware, Yasmin, there are a lot of products out there with an ESG label. And I do feel like this is a real point of confusion for investors. So if you could leave investors with just a few words of wisdom on how they should think about ESG overall, what, what would those be? How, how would you guide investors with this, uh, this product proliferation in the space right now? I focus on, on um, so ESG has historically been around using data to rank companies and finding the good ones and leaning away from the bad ones. And I think that's a really complicated approach. It's very hard to know what's good and bad. Um, if there's one thing I want to force us as an industry, and I hope investors force us on, is trying to link um, sustainable investing with performance. Um, and I think this is becoming very topical right now. If you see, you know, with energy outperforming, how many investors and traditional ESG strategies are feeling like there's just this trade-off. Um, and so I think really understanding the spaces where you can drive impact at scale and create value for shareholders is one. Um, and then really asking your managers if you focus on this space, what's your theory of change? What do you believe is different about the world if, you know, I as an investor or we as investors invest in the fund? Um, and I think really pushing managers on those two topics is where we, we need to be focusing. Well, Yasmin, so great having you back on the podcast. Really enjoyed the conversation. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. That was Yasmin Dahlia Bilger, head of ETFs at Engine Number One.